Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Through Their Eyes podcast. This is a podcast where we get a chance to look at the world and the church through the eyes of those that are around us. And as you know, this summer, we're talking to ministers and getting their perspective on different Bible subjects. I'm your host, Michael Clark. I'm your host, Caleb Rutherford. And we're glad that we have you here with us today as we're looking through this summer season content. This is episode six. Of course, we're not having our regular daily content, but we want to make sure that you know that the first season of Scattered Abroad is under uh, is under the you know it's it's done. I guess we should say we're done. We're good to go with that. We're working on season two and getting it edited and ready for promotion and and you know putting out over the airwaves. I'm going to get it right eventually, you know. And uh, we have all of our social media plugins, of course, in the show notes. We have our email address. We'd love it if you'd leave a rating and a review. Uh, we've got this summer content that's happening right now, which is, as I mentioned, a lot different than what we normally have. We usually have content every day of the month, and right now it's just about two episodes a month, a week, two episodes a week, and we have a guest sit down with us. We talk about a Bible subject, and then we have a Did That Really Happen podcast that we're doing where we're getting the opportunity to hear some of the funnier stories that have happened to these ministers as they're going throughout their lives as gospel preachers. And today we have with us Brother Derek Coble. Derek is the minister at the West Sparta Church of Christ. And Derek, I'd like to give you an opportunity before we get started to just kind of introduce yourself, kind of tell us a little bit about you and uh, your family and whatnot. All right. I almost said I'm your host, Derek Coble. When you're <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> I felt compelled to do that. Yeah, I've been at West Sparta Church of Christ for 17 years. I have three children, Hallie Hayden and Henley. And Hallie's about to graduate. She is wow. 18 now. So you're old. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say old. I'm getting there, but no, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, once you have a graduate, yeah, uh-huh. in high school, you're there. Um, but yeah, so life is good in Sparta. Everything has been going great except for that's right. <laughs> past, yes. A uh, couple of months where we've had this issue and that's exactly why I'm here. So we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that's exactly right. We are, um, obviously we're excited that you're here. Um, maybe not as excited for the topic, um, just due to everything that's been going on. However, I believe that it is a topic that certainly needs to be discussed. And I do believe that there is a lack of discussion about it. Uh, among those in the church, um, because when something like this happens, a lot of times people kind of just don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know why it's happening. So let me add, let's kind of let's begin this as we talk about this idea of withdrawal of fellowship. Um, Derek, what exactly is withdrawal of fellowship? Because I know people throw out the terms of disfellowship and, and different things like that. And, and t- I, technically, that's not a biblical term. You don't find that word anywhere in the Bible. But we do find the term withdrawal of fellowship. So go ahead and kind of explain to us and kind of set the table as to what this topic is. Right. Well, you know, when we obey the gospel— we are then in fellowship with God, number one, <clears throat> fellowship with the church, number two. So, you know, to do that, obviously what we have done is we have obeyed through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, and that places us in the church that, that cleanses us, Acts twenty two sixteen, causes us to be sanctified, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and so that's that set apart situation. That's that holy situation uh, uh, where that puts us in that fellowship with God. Now, what happens if we if we turn from that situation and we go back into the paths of sin? What has happened? Well, that has taken us out of 
fellowship with God, which also means you can't be in fellowship with the church. So when you say withdrawing fellowship, you know, it's simply just a form of discipline that God has set into place for those who have wandered back into sin. They've got out of the the right paths, they're not on the right track where they need to be. And so through the command of Paul, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, that he says, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord, uh, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly. Now, the, the term, you know, walking disorderly is just out of step with everybody else, out of rank. You know, I kind of think about it, were you in the band? No, but no. I, I watched them. Okay. You know? <laughs> Were you in a band? No, sir. No, uh, nobody's in a band. Okay, well, I was in band there you in, go. in high school. And uh, so I think about it that way because, you know, I, I played percussion. And so we I was in, uh, played snare drum, played bass drum. And so thinking about, you know, marching and being in those those lines in parades and that type of thing, it was very obvious when you look down the row and as you've You've seen them, you know, and you can see uh, when somebody's not in step with everybody else right. or somebody's a little bit ahead or a little bit behind and you look down through there and you're like, that doesn't look right. Right. And, and so you got to get back on the right track and get, get in step with everybody else. So that's kind of how I think about it when I think about um, that term disorderly, where you can see that somebody is clearly out of line with everybody else. It's interesting, you know, kind of building off of that that band illustration, the not just the following in line properly, but also the the instrument itself. Because I, I've I've got a couple of artists I listen to, and they've they've done live recordings of their music, and sometimes the crowd is so loud they cannot hear what is going on on the keyboard or on the piano or whatever. And on one particular song that I have. He misses just a couple of keys, but you never would have noticed it if you didn't listen to it on the headphones where you've got nothing else playing. But now that I've heard it, I can't unhear it. And it's not that the song is bad, but it messed up the flow of the song because it's a note out of place. And if he wants the song to sound like it's supposed to sound, he's got to hit that note the way that it's in that way it was written. And so we talk about withdrawal fellowship. For those that don't know, as we can talk about what it is. Uh, the West Sparta Church of Christ has has had to deal with this recently. We're filming this in May, and of course it's coming out in the summertime, but uh, people might know just from listening, you might have recognized the West Sparta Church of Christ name because of Facebook sure. or because of a bunch of other things, maybe the news or whatever. So uh, Derek, when you guys started to to see Facebook kind of blow up on you, we all know the keyboard warriors that are out in the world, and they reside on both sides of the aisle, but... People probably would love nothing more than to give someone a piece of their mind. What kind of comments were y'all getting on these this post that had been that had been shared over and over again? Yeah, some of the things I can't say. Right, <laughs> sure. You know, one of the I remember one that kept kind of coming up over and over was this church is pure trash. Mm. I mean, that's kind of the sentiment of most of them um, is just saying that you're not loving you're Mm -hmm. not being christ-like and as soon as they would say that we're not being christ-like they would turn around and you know (laughs) cuss at us or something like that and it's it's just you know so disrespectful and it was just you know very hateful 
types of things that, that we were seeing there. And, um, you know, you just did not feel the love uh, that they were wanting us uh, so-called to, to be sharing. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it was it was just a, a difficult time uh, for several, several days. And, and even for a month, you know, we did try to go back and put our website up probably about a month later. And uh, that <coughs> same day, they aired the news story mm. in Nashville. And so then we were starting to get slammed again. So we had right. to pull it back down. And uh, I tried to reach out actually to the news station and called them that day. And because they had said on the news story, they said, hey, we can't get a hold of these guys. And even they, they showed a, a phone laying there saying this number is not connected or whatever, like they couldn't get a hold yeah. of us. <clears throat> well, you know, our elders have become household names. Yeah. And uh, all of them, they could have looked up in the phone book. They oh, could yeah. have tried to, to actually call them. They didn't do that. You know, right. They did not reach out to me. They didn't reach out to them. Um, so it would have been very easy, but they said, Hey, we can't get a hold of them. So I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll call them. So I called the station and talked with a receptionist or someone. And, and he said, uh, uh, well, you'll, you, he's not here today. The guy that, that ran the story, he's not here today. You'll have to, uh, tell me what you want to say. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, I said, I, I really need to talk to him, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he said, well, you just, uh, you email me and I'll get it to him. And I, so he just would not, would right. not let me talk to him. So I said, okay, I'll email you. So I emailed him, but I simply said, here's my contact. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about this. And that's all I left it at and gave him all of my numbers <clears throat> and everything. No one ever contacted me. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they, they didn't really want the truth. Right. Um, just, just simply a story. You mentioned it, the idea of how people talk about how unloving it is, which is interesting to me because you think about passages like Matthew 18, James chapter 5. Obviously, this is a biblical command. It's something that we're commanded to do, and we are commanded to do it, and we do it because we do love them, because mm -hmm. ultimately we want, um, we want what well, their best interest is at, is at our heart. We want them to go to heaven. We want what's best for them. And if we see them erring and doing what's not right, we're going to do everything we can to bring them back on track because sure. of the love we have for them. If we didn't love them, we wouldn't say anything. That's right. It's like, it's like a parent who disciplines their child. If they didn't love the child, they'll let the child run around and do whatever it wants. But it disciplines it because of the love that it has for that child. And the same thing is with us, same thing as with God and us. The reason why we have these commands and why we're, there's this, this justice system in place is because of his love for us and he wants us to do what's yeah. right. Yeah, and it does hurt. I mean, it yeah. hurts. Yeah, Just like you mentioned, the parent illustration. Um, how many times have you heard parents say, this will hurt me worse than it right. hurts you? Right. You know, and that that's for the church. This is yeah. also true. Yeah. I mean, um, it hurts both. It hurts on, on both ends. And, you know, you never like to be spanked. No, <laughs> I, I used to think. I used to think uh, if this is really going to hurt you more than me, how about we switch places? Yeah, you that's know? right. Right. You're um, like, yeah, right. Let, no me, let so. me do what you're going to do to me, and then we'll see how you feel about it. Right. But like we talked about earlier, it's the process of helping you get back on the right track. That's right. Um, even though it hurts, it does hurt the parent, and it does hurt the child. It hurts the church, and it hurts that one who is disciplined. That's exactly right. I know one of the things that has to be a concern. And it, it it's a concern even before your church is put on blast, as we say, the security of it all, the the safety aspect of being concerned 
that maybe someone out there decides they're going to go to that congregation and they're going to teach them a lesson. And I'm not saying that all the people who disagree with what the church did are that way, but we do know that there have been people that have gone to churches with guns and they have shot up the congregation. And that's not impossible to look at that as a possibility. So did y'all receive any type of threats that were concerning enough that you had to be concerned about the safety of the congregation? I know we're in a time of COVID, and so there's already precautions and things that people are concerned with. But on top of all of that, the members have to follow along with what the elders say. But unfortunately, a lot of times what elders can decide to do, even though doing it the right way, it does affect the whole congregation. So what type of struggles did y'all face with that? Yeah, we had at least three uh, valid threats that, you know, the the law enforcement said, hey, we, we probably do need to be pretty cautious about this and look into this. So we had the FBI involved, we had the TBI involved, we had Homeland Security involved, and we hated we hated that, but at the yeah. same time, we were glad that they were taking it very seriously. Sure. And they did look into a few individuals and finally cleared at least two of them. One of them I'm still not sure about, but I would say since we haven't heard anything that yeah. they've probably cleared them too. So, yeah, so we had to amp up our security, of course, and uh, still are, you know. Yeah. Um, sure. So we're just being cautious. I used to say when I was younger, I've changed my, my wording of this now, but I used to say, if you love the law enough, it won't matter. Everything, everything else won't matter. I've started to shift what I'm saying there, though, to now saying, I love the law. I don't always like it. And I think what we need to have people understand is, I don't like that withdrawal fellowship is in the Bible. I, I wish it wasn't, because that would be a lot easier to say, I don't ever have to worry about withdrawing from somebody. It's never an issue. It's never a concern. You can live your life however you want. But if I truly love the Lord, I will follow that which I like and that which I don't like. And so we, we talk so much about loving the word of God and loving the law and, and looking at Matthew chapter 18, of course. Derek, would you mind kind of discussing a little bit further in detail because this is the first place we really get the idea of withdrawing a fellowship in the bible can you talk about the process that jesus lays out here as we we want to continue to talk about what it is yeah absolutely yeah we go there to matthew 18 and begin in verse 15 where jesus says if your brother trespass against thee go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone and if he shall hear thee Thou hast gained thy brother. So obviously, first off, you want to see that we're dealing with fellow Christians. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is important for us to understand that. This trespass is a sin. Okay, some injure to you in any way by words, by conduct, some way that's bringing shame on you or the church. And you approach this brother seeking or sister seeking an explanation basically of their conduct wanting to uh, reprove them in a friendly type of way you're you like you said you're approaching this out of love right so we want to make that known giving them that opportunity then to acknowledge that sin and to correct it to warn them hey you know here's the path that you're on as we mentioned you're out of step with everybody else we just want to pull you back. Right. We want you to be in step with everybody else. God doesn't want you 
to die lost. We don't want you to die lost either. So Jesus says, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, uh, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So here is this situation. You know, if, if he hears, then what happens? Well, you have gained your brother. That's, that's the goal. Right. You know, you want to gain them. You want to preserve them. You want to restore them back to faithful service all over again. If he will not hear, that means he's refusing to repent. He's refusing to listen at all. Then you tell it to the church so that everybody can have an influence on that person. And you see that impact of the entire congregation going to somebody and saying, hey, we know that, that uh, this is a problem. We love you. We want to see you back in step. We want to see you back in faithfulness. And we, we want to do anything we can to help you do that. Yeah. Hopefully they'll hear that. They'll see the love. They'll see the, the pleading. And they'll want to come back. But if not, what does Jesus say? Well, you let them be as a heathen man and a publican. Those were outsiders, of course, to the Jews. So you have nothing then to do with them. Now, we do admonish them as brothers or sisters, according to Paul, 2 Thessalonians 3. So uh, it's not that you just, I think sometimes that's misunderstood right. sure. in, the, in the church too, sure. is that people will say, okay, we've withdrawn from them, so we're just going to, okay, they're gone. You right. know? Um, but no, when you, you, you still want to admonish them, to warn them um, when you see them, you yeah. know, and make sure that they know you still want them to, to come back. Right. And I want to say this with, with this situation that we've had, um, I did, I did, uh, contact this lady and tell her, you know, do you understand what has happened here? And, you know, she, she said, I'm confused. And I said, well, I want to help you understand what has happened. Mm-hmm. And because you know, I do love you. I love right. your soul and uh, want to help you. I don't want to see this continue in the same path. So um, we, you know, I, I did reach out to her and say that. And uh, she has not shown any sign of wanting to discuss it any further or come back yet. But we're still hoping that uh, this discipline will allow her to come back. Sure. That's always the goal. And I think that's lost on people too, like you said. It's it's lost on people that this is a uh, this is a command. First of all, it's lost on people. Second of all, that this is not a we are ripping you from the family of God. In reality, the Bible tells us that Isaiah fifty nine one and two sin separates us from God. So the separation was already done, and what is talked about in Matthew chapter eighteen here is this separation has occurred. And the first thing you need to do is go you and you alone to your brother. If he hears you, great. The church is involved as the last, you know, method. It's the last straw. It's never supposed to be the first thing that we do, but it is supposed to be something that is done if it gets to that point. But like you said, we've also, I think, lost the fact that there's still a brother or sister. We admonish them. We may not eat with them. We may not be involved with them in fellowship sure 
but they're still part of the family of God. They're just wayward. Mm -hmm. And much like the prodigal son's father looked for him every day, and the prodigal thought that there was no way that he could possibly be a son after all that he had done, the father shows us that when you come back, everything's restored. And so we we talk so much today about withdrawal fellowship, but I think, to be honest with you, and I don't want to, I'm going to save some of this, but I'm just going to make the statement. We'll move on because we're going to get into it another question. But I think part of the reason people struggle with withdrawal fellowship so much is we don't do it anymore. And it's, it's such a shell shock to people that when they see it, they, they have not had any exposure to it. And therefore, they react harshly because to them, it is a harsh thing to do. And so we'll get into that a little bit later. I just want to make that statement now because... I want the listeners to kind of marinate that thought because I'm just going to ask this question for the listeners too. When was the last time your congregation or any congregation in your area withdrew from someone? The second question is, how many people do you know that haven't even darkened the church doors where you attend in years? And they're still in the area, but nothing's been done. This is a problem. Yeah, I think think it has a lot to do with this idea of acceptance because you look at the world and they want to accept you for anything and everything that you are because they don't want to hurt your feelings. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of that has infiltrated the mindset of many Christians. They would rather be friends and keep those relationships with individuals around them rather than, you know, preach the hard truth and possibly lose that relationship or that friendship, even though you're doing what you're supposed to do. And I think that's something that is so important to keep in mind that, Obviously, you want to have those friendships and the relationships, but that's not the main goal. That's not that. That's not the purpose. The goal is to try to get help get them to heaven, and you won't be able to have that eternal relationship with them um, if 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 that if the uh, um, if the help there is not given uh, to try to put them back on the right track. So. Absolutely. Now here's the here's the tough question. Uh-oh. Does it work? Because <laughs> you, you think about it, it is so easy to say this is what you have to do. And for example. I'll give a a fantastical illustration for the sake of being fantastical. Um, I love to watch reality TV. That is one of like the, the TLC shows They some of those are, are so interesting to watch to say the least. But one of the shows I've watched a lot of is that 600 pound life where they document someone who's trying to lose a bunch of weight and the doctor comes in and the doctor always tells them exactly what they have to do to lose the weight. There was one woman on one of these episodes that was told she needed to exercise regularly. She had to lose weight to be able to have the surgery. They would not perform the surgery unless she lost a certain amount of weight. And so the camera crew's following her around. She goes to the gym at like 7 o'clock. At 7.05, she's leaving. She's, she has exercised now for five minutes. And I, I kid you not, and I don't make fun of her because of her weight or anything like that, but the discipline side of it. Sure. She literally says, I've been good. I'm going to McDonald's. <laughs> and she goes to McDonald's and orders this large breakfast. Right. And that continued for a month and a half. And so she goes back to the doctor and the doctor says, you've gained weight. <laughs> you haven't lost weight. And he says, I told you what to do and you didn't do it. And therefore I can't perform the surgery. Then you have other people who they hear that and they go above and beyond. They're told you need to lose 35 pounds or we won't do the surgery. They lose 55. And they, they're so dedicated. They're, they want to make the plan work. And so it's unfortunate that I have to ask the question this way to you because you can't really give a blanket statement, yes or no answer on this. There has to be some explanation. But yeah. I think that's the number one thing people want to know is 
why should we do this if I don't have guaranteed results that it'll bring them back? Yeah, this works because it is a plan of God and God's plans always work. But let's say it this way, that you've got to have, uh, you've got to do it in the right way. You've got to have the right attitude, the right heart about it. And just like your illustration a moment ago, you know, that, that lady, you know, she had the right plan, but right. she had to have the right attitude and the right heart to make right. that happen in the, in the way that it was supposed to do. So, uh, you know, just think about preaching the gospel. God has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We want to save everybody, but that doesn't mean that, that everybody will be saved. And because everybody won't be saved, that's not to say that God's plan does not work because you got to have the right heart. I think the parable of the sower shows you that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke 8, 11, how the seed is the word of God and what happens? Well, it, it enters into different types of hearts sometimes. And we want the good and honest heart, of course, uh, where it can actually uh, produce fruit. So when the gospel is preached, there's going to be different responses to it um, because people, they just have those different hearts that Jesus talked about. So you see that throughout the book of Acts, uh, particularly Acts 14, uh, 1 and 2, where you've got Paul and Barnabas there in Iconium, a great multitude, the Bible says, uh, of Jews and Greeks believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their mind evil affected against the brethren. Everybody heard the same saving message, but they responded in completely different ways. The same in Athens, Acts 17, 31 to 34. You've got them hearing about the resurrection from the dead. And uh, some of them mocked, but others, they wanted to hear again. And the Bible says that certain men joined him and believed. So, yeah, when you talk about this being a plan of God, yes, obviously it's going to work when it's done the right way. And you've got those right hearts as well. So it's God's plan that we withdraw from the disorderly to save them ultimately, if they have the right heart, to save the church from harm. But not everybody's going to repent. Not everybody's going to come back the way that we want them to because their heart's not right. Just like people don't respond in the same way to the gospel. All right. Yeah, it's sad sometimes because you, <clears throat> you do all that you can to try to show someone the truth. You do it in the right way. You say the right things. You show them the right passages, and you show them the right situations, and yet sometimes it just doesn't work. And that's because as individuals, we're free moral agents. Uh, we were created with free will to do and live how we choose and please, and it all comes down to who we want to serve in this life. If we're going to serve our Lord Jesus or if we're going to try to serve this world and the things that we want to do um, in this life, you know, we, we talk about the, 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 the statement. Um, and I think, and maybe he wasn't the first one who said, I'm sure he wasn't the first one who said this, but Ben Shapiro uh, with the daily wire was one of the first ones that I heard who said facts don't care about your feelings. Um, and I love the statement. And I guess we, in this kind of sense, we could take it to the point to where they say, we say the Bible doesn't care about your feelings either. Um, mm-hmm. the truth doesn't care about your feelings, um, because the truth is truth and you have to adjust your life to live and abide by it. So when we leave, when we live right now in a society, in a culture, um, where it, the message is so much of feelings over facts. And I think I alluded to this um, 
earlier what we talked about is this idea of acceptance. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You want to try to um, live peaceably with everybody in the sense of you just accept them for who they are and how they live and, you know, this and that and the other. How should a congregation handle these kinds of things when, while we live in a society and a world and a culture um, that is this feelings over facts mentality? All right. Go back to your lady illustration. <laughs> when you step on the, <laughs> you step on the scale, you can't deny, right. you know, what that says. Right. You know, you can say, well, I, I feel like I weigh 150 pounds. Right. And you're, you're looking at 250. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you're staring at that. Right. And you cannot argue with that. So we've got to get that across to people to say, Hey, the Bible, you can't argue with that. This is, this is a standard. And and, and, you know, this is a rule that we follow, Galatians 6.16, and we can't change it. We've got to follow, and it doesn't matter, like you said, Caleb, it doesn't matter how you feel necessarily. These are the facts. So I know that, that we do live in a society where it's, it's better felt than told, and people want to, you know, say, I can't, you know, you can't trade my feelings for a stack of Bibles or whatever. And we have to help people understand that, yeah, you know, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to feel good, mm-hmm. but he wants you to do that in the right way. He, he wants you to do that based on his word. Psalm 119, 160 shows you that it's always right. The Bible is always right. So we've got to get our conscience or our feelings set right. Um, everybody has that conscience that tells you if you're doing something right or if you're doing something wrong. The problem is you, your conscience can tell you that you're doing something right when it is actually wrong. And we have to have our senses exercised to discern good and evil, uh, Hebrews 5.14. And, and how do you get good and evil? Right. You only get it from God. Right. Well, there's a, there's a fallacy in this argument of the, the, my, the way I feel. If, if the three of us here have a discussion about something and we disagree, then none of us can be right, or all of us have to be right. Because if I feel you're wrong, therefore you're wrong. But can't you feel that I'm wrong too? Yeah. And can't Caleb feel that we're both wrong? And, and you're wrong you, right now. And that's the problem. You know, that's exactly right. How do, we get, how do we get it to a point where there's any type of understandable truth? Right. Because if it's always about how I feel on a situation, that is so ambiguous that we're never going to be able to tell someone that they have the truth or that they, they're not in, in truth. And so the, the issue is, and I don't think people even realize this, if you get to have a feeling about something, so do I. We're, in a, we're in a world of equality now, right. aren't we? We right. want everyone to be equal. Well, if you get to feel this way about something, so can I. Right. And I feel that what the Scriptures teach is true, and I can look to the Bible and know that the facts that are presented there provide a pattern. I also know when we talk about this feelings over facts, nobody ever stops to consider how the church feels and how the minister feels and how the elders, most importantly, who had to make the decision to say, this is what we have to do. Because ultimately, you can't stand up in front of the West Barter Church and say, we're withdrawing from these people. That's an eldership decision. Now, it's a biblical decision that needs to be done by elderships, but ultimately, you have to wait to be told that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And no one ever stops to think about the hurt that the congregation feels. Now, I thought mm-hmm. about John chapter 6 and verses 60 through 66, 
and you have Jesus that's made these hard sayings and hard truths, and the disciples that were there said, many of them said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And Jesus in the New King James, he asks them, does this offend you? And notice when Jesus says, does this offend you? He didn't say by following up with that, I'm sorry, let me change that. Right. He said, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and even who would betray him. And he says in verse 65, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, verse 66, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. They withdrew fellowship from Christ. And Jesus evidently is dejected by this to a degree because he turns to the 12 and says, you guys going to go too? <laughs> yeah. Are, are y'all leaving as well? And Peter gave him, I think, a really good shot in the arm, if you will, where he says, where would we go? Lord, you're the one that has the words of eternal life. And Jesus didn't say to these people that he had offended. I'm sorry you feel that way. Let me change the teaching. And he gives us the same mindset throughout the rest of the New Testament when we read passages like Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, where we talk about people being withdrawn from or needing to be withdrawn from. Jesus is the one telling us to do that. Because yep. we're told in John chapter 14 through 16 that there's a comforter coming. And that comforter is going to guide the apostles into all truth. And therefore, whatever he says, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, whatever he says is from me, the Lord, Jesus. He's not going to speak of his own. His thoughts are not original with him. They are our thoughts. He's going to tell you what they are. And so the rest of the New Testament, if we really want to be technical, it could all be red, the color red. Sure. And so we think about that, and Jesus had moments throughout his ministry, many moments where he offended people, and yet he lamented, and like Matthew 23, lamented over the state of Jerusalem as he saw the sin-sick city that it was and said, I would have gathered you countless times like a mother hen gathers her, her chicks, but you weren't willing. What we need to say, I think, in some ways to get this through people's mind, the church withdrawing fellowship from someone is the second withdrawal that is taking place. Yep. The first is a withdrawal from Christ. Right. And this is a reaction to that withdrawal from Christ because you cannot be in the body withdrawn from the Savior because he is the body. Sure. Right. And therefore, to remove yourself from the body is counterproductive. And so when we talk about this withdrawal fellowship, what people probably need to be hearing more and more, and when we teach on this, what we need to make sure we're driving home to them is, like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this was a brother who had taken his stepmother to be in a sexual relationship with her, which was not scriptural, and the congregation at Corinth was glorying in it, that they were so tolerant. Come on and worship with us here. We'll, we'll take you as you are. And Paul says, your glorying is sinful. Yeah. You need to withdraw from him, deliver him to Satan. What a strong statement that is. Deliver this person to Satan because basically he already is Satan's. Stop letting him be in the congregation because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right. One person in the congregation that's living in sin can influence the rest of the congregation. And I think that's why Galatians chapter 6 tells us that when someone is overtaken in a fault or a trespass, a sin, you who are spiritual— restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. 
why why is there such an emphasis put on you who are spiritual? Well, what if I'm not the strongest Christian and Derek has fallen into a sin and I go to talk to Derek and Derek says, hey, brother, here's my thought on it. Here's my opinion. And I'm not the strongest Christian. My faith with the Lord is not right. Derek might be able to convince me that I also need to follow him and do what he's doing. And now two people have been taken. And Paul is telling Corinth, you better purge out the leaven. You better take this person out before he hurts the whole lump and the whole loaf. And they applied that. And it did work because they actually took it too far. In 2 Corinthians 2, he tells in verses 1 through 5 that they need to bring him back because he's repented. And this, this man that they had withdrawn from, verse 6, it says, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. But he says, verses 7 through 11, bring him home. Yeah. Enough's enough. You yeah. know, you've, they you've need proven to forgive your point. him. They, now forgive him. And, and right. comfort him. That's right. And reaffirm their love That's to right. him. So, yeah, absolutely right. Um, you know, all of those things that you said, absolutely right. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, again, you know, you see the, the very strong language there. And I'm glad you brought that up, especially that it did work, you know, ultimately. And that was part of our question, too, that, um, you know, they, verse 2 says that this guy had to be taken away from them. And they had to deliver him to Satan, like you mentioned in in verse 5, to purge out the old leaven, verse 7, not to keep company with him, verses 9 through 11. And look at verse 13. But them that are without God judges, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So very, very strong language here that people don't like. You know, when you have such strong language like this, um, the mentality of the world is, what, you're, you're sending them to Satan? How could you do that? Um, but this is exactly what uh, God has told us right here. And as Michael pointed out, you know, they're already living. Uh, away from God, they're already living for Satan anyway. So yeah, that that's the situation. So they want to hit rock bottom, and and see their their horrible situation and the consequences of living that lifestyle, in hopes that Second Thessalonians three fourteen, they will be ashamed, and then they will see that error and want to come back because of that shame because you're not in that fellowship any right. longer. It's interesting, Michael, something you mentioned, uh, talking about John chapter 6, when the crowds left Jesus, um, you talked about how I think a couple of things stand out, and you mentioned one of them, Jesus didn't change his statements in that he said, oh, I'm sorry, but then number two, he also didn't run after them either. Right. And I think it's interesting because in some situations, and I'll, that's not to say that if they turned around and came back that he would, and they had the right change of heart that he wouldn't have accepted them, because he sure. certainly would have. But I think... At, at some at some point, it's kind of one of those things you kind of just gotta you know shake the dust off your shoes and move on too. Because some people, and I, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but some people, you present the truth, you do all that you can, and there's just nothing else that you can do because their heart is so hard and they're so far removed from wanting to do what's right. And I think you've got when you get to that point. You've got to make sure that a you don't get discouraged, and b you just you, you look at other individuals who who want the truth, who are searching for what's right, who want to do what's right, and you go do all that you can. You've done what you can for these individuals. You leave it all on the table for them. You show them, here's what you need to do. And then the ball's in their court. There's nothing else that you can do. Um, and I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't run after him. 
Um, and I think the same with us, we can help people, you know, until we're blue in the face and sometimes it just doesn't work for them. Um, but that's not to say that we don't put the best, uh, best, our best foot forward. But sometimes you just got to shake the dust off your shoes and move on. Well, you mentioned that shaking the dust off of your feet, uh, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10 verses uh, around 10 to 15, what to do when they entered into a household and verse right. 13, he says, when you go into a household, verse 12, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, take your peace back. And verse 14 says, whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city. So notice, if you go into a sinful city and no one's listening to you, you take your shoes off and shake the dust off. Don't carry that bad mojo with you, basically, is Mm -hmm. the mentality there. Shake the dust off, go to the next place. And he says, I'm going to tell you that it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Well, that's a strong statement. Yikes! And that's that's a those are <laughs> yeah. two. Those I mean, are, they're suffering uh, eternal fire. Right. Jude seven. Right. I mean, and we've got Sodom and Gomorrah who was put to death for their homosexuality and their wickedness. And Jesus says it'd be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And you, like you said, you think about all that Sodom and Gomorrah is experiencing for what they had done. And I'm told that rejecting the gospel is going to be worse than even what they had suffered and what they were dealing with. And you talk so much, and and we talk so much about trying to get through to people that not running after them. That's an important point. Neither did the father of the prodigal son. You know, Mm. Paul did not run after churches when they would not listen. He would tell them what they needed to do. But Paul didn't go into the the congregations and just say, now y'all are going to repent. I'm not leaving till you do, right. you know, and that wouldn't work. And I think you touched on this early on in our episode today, but I think what people are neglecting to realize is the Lord has a right to punish. Mm-hmm. Now, we could go back to Old Testament times if people really want to, and we could punish that way with death, and we could we could stone people that even have gotten out of line. New Testament. And Ananias and Sapphira. Even, and even sure. the New Testament, Ananias <laughs> sure. and Sapphira Okay, so died. that's your first case of church discipline. That's right. right. And uh, we, we better be thankful that, <laughs> that's right. that God's not dealing with us <laughs> that right. way, where we are given that space mm-hmm. of time sure. to repent and come back. And you think yeah. about that. You think of the severity of it. And it's going to be funny when I say it, so just bear with me here. But you can't <laughs> spank the congregation, okay? You can't say, I mean, could you imagine getting up in front of the church and saying, now, brother so-and-so is in sin, we're going to paddle him. Yeah. That, that, that does not work. God knew in his infinite wisdom that you can't discipline congregations like you would a child. However, one of the things that I want to touch on before we go into the, my next question here is in Acts chapter 2, because I think it's important. When you look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, the Bible tells us the fellowship that they all experienced. These people, these about 3,000 souls that were added to the church, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. They had all things in common. And here's something that is overlooked by a lot of us. They sold their stuff and divided it to anyone who had need, and continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I I can't help but think 
that this congregation of people at some point could have very likely gone into the point where they had to withdraw fellowship from somebody. Yeah. And to think about just using the three of us here as an example, if if I'm in sin and I have to be withdrawn from, but I know that both you and Derek, Caleb, sold your stuff to get me out of a debt that I had or to, to help me fix my roof or whatever it is that I needed, and now you won't fellowship with me. That's going to sting yeah. because you loved me enough to sell your own possessions. Right. And what a, what a love that was because they didn't have a church treasury yet. They didn't have monies to be able to give out to the people, that so they had to sell stuff. And now I'm being told by those same people who bought stuff for me or those same people who provided me financial help and, and were in my own home and we were eating, I was in your homes and we were eating, are now telling me, you can't come over here and fellowship with us. It's supposed to sting. It's supposed to hurt enough because the Lord knew what the church family can really do for people. And to experience that and to have it taken away is the only true punishment that can really happen unless, like Derek said, we go Ananias and Sapphira route. Now, God did not decide for that to be the punishment, and and thanks be to God that that is not the punishment because we would lose quite a lot of people in the Lord's church, unfortunately. But he does understand that this has to be done. And so this is the this is the question I alluded to earlier where I asked the the listeners two questions. Number one, when was the last time your congregation did this? Number two, can you name members of your church that are wayward, that have not darkened the church doors in months or years? I'm not talking because of COVID. I'm not talking because of social distancing or anything of that nature. I'm talking an intentional decision to not come to church. And if the, if, if the answer to those questions are, number one, no, I don't know the last time my elders did this. And number two, yeah, there's Sister Joe, there's Brother Joe, there's Sister Sally. You know, you got <laughs> well, all these could people. Be <laughs> <laughs> could be. They would need to be withdrawn from too, of course. But if you've got these brethren that are in sin, and you know that that in your congregation, why haven't your elders withdrawn from them? Yeah, sure. Why haven't y'all done this process? So here's the question. Do churches apply this as well as they should? All right. Can I say this first before sure. we move to that? I wanted, when you were talking about um, how um, the discipline stings, uh, it, it, I thought of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, where Paul, most likely Paul, says, Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, mm. but grievous. Sure. Right. Nevertheless, afterward, what happens? It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Sure. So, again, mm-hmm. you see, um, again, how God deals with us as children. That's what this chapter uh, deals with. And uh, we, don't like, we don't like to punish. You know, we don't like to have to do that. But afterward, it, we're hoping right. that uh, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So... Back to the next question. Do do churches apply this as they should? Well, uh, short answer is no. <laughs> you know, that's the short answer. Sure. And like, uh, <laughs> you know, Michael, you've already alluded to uh, as far as seeing this done. How many, how many baptisms mm. have we seen as Christians, you know, throughout our lives? Probably several. You know, most of us, we've, right. we've seen multiple baptisms throughout our lives, probably uh, over the last 20, 30 years. 
Um, are you that old? <laughs> nope. I'm almost, I'm almost 28. I'm almost 28. Okay, right, we're so. getting there. All right. So, and then you ask Christians, you know, you flip that around and you well, you say, okay, why do we, why do we see that? Somebody says, well, because that's commanded. All right, that, that's a command, and, and we need to be teaching and, and seeing people obey the gospel. Okay, uh, so how many how many folks then have you seen disciplined over the last 20, 30 years? Mm. Um, if you ask that question in, in a typical congregation today, you're not going to see very many hands raised for anybody. Have you seen anybody disciplined? Yeah. You know, people may not raise their hand because they haven't seen this done as it should be done. And that's why when it does happen, mm-hmm. we are shocked yep. and people do not understand. like, okay. So for instance, um, we have practiced discipline at West Sparta, um, a few times. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say that it's done like it always should have been done, but the elders are getting back to that and trying to teach and sure. reinforce this idea. Um, so when I talked to this lady, And I said, Hey, you know, I want to talk to you. We want to help you get, get back to where you need to be. That's why she said, I don't understand. I mean, that, that's sad. That is sad that, that she has been in the church for so many years that she did not understand this process. And that's a problem. Sure. And that's why I said, Hey, I want to help you understand this. And uh, unfortunately she's not been willing to do that yet, but I know nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. We don't like to be the one to have to do that either um, because the the mentality of the world is, well, you think you're better than us. Mm-hmm. You think you're holier right. uh, than me or something like that. Well, it's not about that at all. It's it's simply about wanting to follow the commands of God. Right. And uh, back to that idea of the feelings and the facts, um, you, can, you can feel like everything is good. Okay, Michael, say um, daylight savings time rolls around and you forget to spring forward your watch. All right. And, or your alarm clock or whatever. And, uh, here it is. You, you've got your watch. You're good. All your clocks say nine o'clock, but it's actually 10 o'clock. But in your mind, you're thinking, Hey, it's just nine o'clock, right? But it's not, but you feel like that's the way it ought to be. Well, the fact is it's not. So the same is true. As far as our minds go, Mm -hmm. we can say, Hey, I feel like, I'm good. But in reality, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, Proverbs 14, 12. So Paul, classic example, Acts 23, he thought everything was cool when he was persecuting the church. And he realized later on, hey, you know, my, my conscience said it was okay, but my conscience was not set with the word of God. So just like that watch, you got to set it right you got to set your conscience right. The only way to do that is to set it by the Word of God. Right. I know. I've, had, I've had two occasions in my time as a minister now where it just so happened to fall that it was a hectic week, couldn't get my sermons done during the week, and so I was I was staying up Saturday night finalizing and, and polishing everything up and getting it ready to go. I've done it once where we fell back and once where we sprung forward. <laughs> Good thing I, now, I mentioned you on that one. <laughs> yeah. Now, when we fell back— I thought, oh, that's right. I have more time, right? So I can I can add a few more things because I was originally going to say I'll just have to cover this portion in another sermon here soon. When we sprung forward, you want to talk about <laughs> a look of defeat on my face because I was I was getting on to the last point, finalizing it and getting it ready, and I thought, okay, it's two a.m. 
I'm fine. And then I looked at my my Mac, and as soon as it hit two, it went to three, and I was like, "Wait, what?" And I just was I was so defeated because I was like, "We sprung forward an hour." That's right. I totally forgot we were doing that tonight, and so I had to hurry because I only had a couple of hours to grab some sleep. But it's like you said. I couldn't deny the clock. I could try, and I could have done what sometimes they show in movies and TV shows where I can beg the clock to go back to what it was and say, no, 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 please go back, go back. But it's not going to. And I think what is so frustrating about this is, and I I have no doubt of what West Sparta is being taught in the pulpit because I know who you are as a preacher. Thank you. And I, I have no doubt of what Caleb and I try to do when we preach in the pulpit. Right. But teaching only goes so far because teaching also requires action. And so if for years a congregation is not doing something, they're hurting their chances of it being well-received as best as anything like that can be well-received when they finally get back on track. When I went to Somerville, Somerville told some of us that they, they had not had certain subjects preached on as much and as strongly, and they had never hired Memphis School of Preaching graduates. They hired two. And now they've got three because we just added a youth minister recently. And they said when we were hired, we want the subjects that are hard to be preached. We want the congregation here to get those subjects. And so that that's a wide variety of topics that may not have been covered. And when we first got there, we had some pushback because that had never been talked about before. But now... You get up and you preach a sermon, and it's it's what people call a browbeater. Or it's you know it's a horrible you know it's a moving sermons as some people say. Right. And you ha- it's those sermons where the elders have to stand up afterwards and say, "We asked him to preach this sermon. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be mad at anybody, be mad at us. Don't be mm-hmm. mad at the minister." And now I've noticed that the congregation receives those lessons a whole lot easier because it's it's been years of getting it. But if you're going to teach something like withdrawal fellowship, and I know it's been covered in the 17 plus years you've been preaching at West Sparta, it's it can also come across as we're preaching it, but we're not doing it. And I think that's the case of a lot of churches in the in the congregation of the Lord's body that many members hear sermons on withdrawal fellowship, and they hear it as the suggested command. Yeah, it's suggested yeah. that we do this, but we're not going to do it here because I would imagine. Any of these members that hear these sermons could say, uh, what about Brother Joe, who's been wayward for four years? He's in an adulterous relationship, right. and you let him come back when he wants to come back and, and sit in the back row, and you never talk to him about it. What about Sister Sally, who has been gone from the church for a decade, and she lives right across the street, and she attends the, the Victory Life Church now? Or what about... And and what message is being sent in congregations when we just kind of let bygones be bygones? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't say, now, if they choose to go to another congregation, uh, you don't withdraw from them. No, Jesus says, you take the whole congregation of this person, you try to bring them back, and then if they won't go, then and only then do you pull back, do you withdraw fellowship, shake the dust off your feet, as Caleb said, and you pray. Because, see, withdrawal is only one portion of this for the churches. That congregation, both in public and in private prayer, should be mentioning the members that are wayward and trying to bring them back in restoration. And if elderships are listening to a podcast like this and they're wanting to get back on track, I want to ask you another question before we throw it to Caleb for the last one. How do you, how do you start? 
Because if, if you've got a situation where for decades you have let sin just kind of go by the wayside, the, the big problem you're going to run into is, well, why is Derek now being the one withdrawn from? Caleb and Michael sinned just as much as Derek did. Right. Why is Derek getting the book thrown at him? So how do you, how do you start this? I mean, you, you mentioned that West Sparta is trying to get things the exact way they need to be, and it, it kind of blew up a little bit, yeah. unfortunately, on this yeah. occasion. But how can, how can you give advice to a congregation to tell them, number one, you have to do it. If, if right. it comes up, it has to be done. But here might be the best way to do this. What would you say is suggestions? Well, we know we can't go backwards. Um, we can always all, only go forward. So with, with all of those folks, and we've, we've had this same uh, discussion too, um, with all of those folks that we know, fell by the wayside, fell through the cracks throughout those years. You know, unfortunately, we can't go back, um, and no congregation can. Um, you can try to reach out to those individuals, and I would suggest that we certainly do that. Uh, we do look at those uh, names perhaps maybe five, ten years ago, whatever, and uh, start looking at those folks that we did kind of just let go and uh, start praying for them, start reaching out to them. Again, obviously, we we want to do that. We don't want to see, like we mentioned earlier, we don't want to see anybody lost. So that would be a starting place, obviously, to say discipline has to be administered somewhat quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not going to be effective if your child um, if you say, don't, don't touch this or don't, uh, do that. And they do. And then three hours later, you give them a spanking. That's not effective. All right. So it has to be done somewhat in a timely manner. Now, obviously the Bible doesn't give us that timeline and that's another problem that we have, but, uh, elderships can see the, they, they have to determine that and that timeline. So if you're talking about somebody that has been out of the church for 10 years, what good is it going to do to say, Hey, we're withdrawing fellowship from you. Right. Um, that's not, that's not going to be effective. Right. So now it would be effective to go to them and say, Hey, we realize that we have neglected you for this long, but we still care about you. Right. What can we do to help you? I think that would be an appropriate thing to do to go back and, uh, to say, Hey, we, we want to see what we can do to, to help you bring you back because these are people that have to be retaught. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what James five, you know, Caleb, you mentioned that earlier, James five, 19 and 20, where brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, right. we don't think about having to convert our brethren, but that's what this is about. These people have lost the teaching that they once knew, and they've got to be reconverted all over again. So that's the situation. Even with those folks who've been gone for, a long time. They've got to be taught, retaught all over again. So it's not an easy thing, uh, but we've got to start where we are and move forward. Right. And I'd almost think that in certain cases, if the church has never done it, if it's never been done, that a suggestion that would be wise for an eldership would be to stand before the congregation and say, we've been wrong. Sure. We're not yeah. doing this. Absolutely. Because elders can sin. I think sometimes we get this mindset that elders mm-hmm. are infallible men. No, right. they're, they're men. Men sin. And elders can can stand up before a congregation and say, you know, brothers, sisters, for for a long time, we handled it this way. 
And upon further reflection of God's Word and studying through the truths of the Bible, we've realized we have messed up. We have fallen short of taking care of the congregation here because we have allowed this to fall by the wayside. No longer will that happen and give a detailed reason as to why. Have sermons and classes taught on sure. it to make sure that it's not the forgotten command and to sure, make sure that right. it's not a suggested command. Yeah. Let me say, I don't think it's really forgotten. I think it's, we don't want to do it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> no doubt. I know it's been called that. That's right. But uh, is it really that? I think it's, it's uh, this is here and they did it, but mm-hmm. we don't want to. Right. It's interesting too. You look, there's a lot of, and for some reason, Christians just have in their mind that they can just pick and choose you know, between the commands of God. And this is one of those things that they just throw to the wayside and don't want to deal with. And how many times, you know, there are so many commands that do not actually say command. Right. But this one says, we command you, 2 Thessalonians (laughs) 3, 6. Sure. You cannot get any plainer than that. Right. I mean, we're not going to argue that there is a command to repent and be baptized, Acts 2, 38, but it doesn't come out and say, we command you. Right there sure. to repent and be baptized or go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's a command, Mark sixteen fifteen. Sure. Or do good unto all men, Galatians six ten. You know, all of those are commands. But this is this is very, very straightforward that this is a command of God. And uh, of course the things that, that Paul was writing, uh those were the, the commands of the Lord. Right. Uh, uh, as we as we understand. So um it's it's straightforward we just we just don't like it you know we yeah. don't like conflict and we shy away from that but um as michael said we have to uh, acknowledge that we've neglected that and uh, move forward and say hey yeah this is a command and we've got to practice it right you know michael you mentioned um it being the the suggested command um or, or people looking at it as a suggested command you know we talk about things like i mean hospi- hospitality is preached on but how often is it practiced uh, evangelism is touched on so many times yet how often is it an emphasis of the congregation um what does brother Mosier say it's not send the light but what take the light right you have to do it yourself um Derry, let me ask you this, and this I know this is not actually one of our questions, um, but I'm just going to throw a curveball to you. Why, why is it that churches don't apply it the way that they should? Is it the fear of, like you mentioned a moment ago, is it the fear of conflict? Is it the fear of, uh, of ruining those relationships? Is it the fear of losing members? Um, why is it that this is something that's not practiced and, and not applied today? Yeah, I think it's just, just that. It's just um, we... We don't like that friction. We we want to do everything we can to take the path of least resistance. Sure. You know, and that's uh, what our society is all about today. You know, uh, the people that don't want to work, you know, the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. you know, just let me, let it be handed to me. And so that kind of trickles down even into the church. And we say, well, you know, this is difficult. We know that this person is wayward, but this is a hard situation. Right. Maybe this is a um, an elder's uh, family, or you know somebody in in an elder's family, or somebody uh, that's related to one of the prominent members in the congregation, or something like or that. Has and, money? Yeah, yeah. And we say, well, we don't need to. We don't need to rock the boat. We don't mm-hmm. need to touch that. Um, that's the wrong mentality, but I think sometimes we allow those worldly things to influence us. Sure. What's the what's the alternative? 
if 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 we don't withdraw, I mean, is there an alternative? I guess maybe is a better yeah. question. You know, about this idea of withdrawal. You know, I've seen I've seen it done where uh, elderships will say, "Well, we know that they're not. Uh, we know that they're not doing right, so we're just going to limit our fellowship mm. with them." I don't know that I. I read that. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't know. We're just, we're just not going to let them teach Bible class. You know, we're not. <laughs> sure. Have you seen that, Michael? Well, yes. And that, here's the problem with that. Uh, not even to eat with someone. Yeah. Okay. If yeah. I'm not going to eat with them, why should I, why should I let them in the worship assembly? Why, why should they be involved in the worship assembly? And one of the other things I've seen that's even more frustrating is, well, we'll just let them lead a prayer. <laughs> we won't let them teach a class, yeah. yep. but we'll let them beseech God on our behalf of the congregation mm-hmm. when their lives are in sin anyway, <laughs> right. as if that's acceptable. And their prayer wouldn't even be heard anyway. And so you know? the problem with that, I have seen some of that, and it's it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Or the other ex- example, which I've seen coming out a lot more l- lately, which is, well, you can't say that certain things are a command. Some things are suggestions. Okay, so when it says... Deliver him to Satan. <laughs> when it yeah. says, "Put away that wicked when person." It says right. to take this man out of the assembly. Was Paul saying, "If you're okay with it," yeah. because if that's what he's saying, Paul used way too strong of a language to tell people to to deliver someone to Satan. I mean, I wouldn't just say to the average person, "You need to be delivered to Satan." That's such a strong rebuke. Yeah, yeah. and for Paul to write that to a church in Corinth that had so many sinful problems. I think that's why he chose to use that strong statement of not withdrawal, just let him go be with Satan. He wants to be with Satan, you let him. Deliver him up. He's yeah. already with Satan anyway, and it's that mentality of you can't have one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord. Mm-hmm. You've got to be all in. And so I have seen some of that, and it, it has always puzzled me because the the danger of that, we won't let him teach a Bible class, okay? Will you let them organize the uh, the care group meetings? For the congregation, right. you know, like the faith in action, the yep. hearts and hands, or whatever they're called, you're going to let them do that? Well, that's fellowship. That's something that we're told in Acts chapter 2 the church was involved in doing. So right. you're admitting that he's a part of the church if he's allowed to do anything that's a work of the church, edification, uh, evangelism, benevolence, any of those three, if that person's involved in it, that's works of the church, and therefore he is involved in church work. So if you won't let him evangelize, why will you let him edify? Right. If you won't let him edify or evangelize, why would you let him be benevolent to somebody for on behalf of the congregation that, well, he's in charge of the money, and so we'll let him continue writing the checks, and that's it? No, no. he needs to be in no way, shape, or form involved in the congregation until he gets his life right. That's right. Yeah, you know, um, Paul delivered Hymenaeus and Alexander mm-hmm. to Satan uh, so that they could learn not to blaspheme, First Timothy 1, 19 and 20. Uh, same with Hymenaeus and Philetus. You know, they're overthrowing the faith of people. You, you can't allow that to happen. You know, so there's no, there's no alternative here. There's no right. um, limiting uh, what you can do. Um, it is, you're out of here. <laughs> You know, uh, we're withdrawing that, um, that purging out that old leaven in, in first Corinthians five and verse seven. So it would be like saying, okay, what's the alternative to baptism? Right. You know, (laughs) can you sprinkle, can you pour? I mean, obviously not. We know, we know, uh, what is taught on that. We know that it's an immersion and it has to be done that way. 
So there, there's no alternative. You got to get it right. You know, the right knowledge, doing it for the right reason and the right way so that people can see that they're lost and they need to be taught all over again, converted all over again. And, and ultimately, if we really want to be technical, there is an alternative. It's death. Yeah. It's spiritual death. It's, sure. it's putting yourself in the same boat as the person who's in sin. And that was Paul's plea is purge the leaven so that the rest of the loaf can be pure. Mm-hmm. And a little leaven can destroy the whole thing. Purge it. Make your congregation pure. And I know, Derek, that you guys are not the only congregation that has dealt with this recently. There was a congregation over in Georgia that had a lady that left her husband, married, got into a relationship with another woman, left her husband, and that congregation was also put on blast. And I think what's so unfortunate in that situation is no one's talking about the fact that this woman left her family. Yeah, sure. And that she left her family. But That's the problem with our world today is she should be allowed to do that. But he should not be allowed to have an opinion on what she did. And the church that she attended for years doesn't get a say right. on what's right and wrong. So then ultimately, what is the purpose of going to church and being a part of the body of Christ? If it doesn't matter what I do, then why even go to church? Right. Why does church even need to be around? Sure. And we run into those problems, and it just it breaks my heart that we're at a point in our country where facts are less important versus the feelings. Mm-hmm. We have people that the, the idea of withdrawal fellowship, that's a curse word and, mm-hmm. into a lot of people's minds. They don't think it works. They, they don't apply it like they should, and they don't realize that the alternative to that is a spiritual death themselves. Sure. And elders, I think if we were to, to kind of close out this, this conversation, let me make sure to, to cover this portion here. If an eldership is not involved in doing this, and they have members that need to be withdrawn from, you're responsible for the souls of all of the flock. And if one of the sheep becomes a wolf mm-hmm. by their way that they're living their lives, you've got to drive them away. Right. Elderships have a yeah. responsibility to to shepherd the flock, to take care, and they're going to have to stand before God yeah. and answer for the decisions that they've made and the decisions that they haven't made um, in, in terms of being elders. Yeah, I want to say this too before we close. You know, the practice has been, and what we've what we've seen even now recently with us and with uh, the congregation in Woodstock, Georgia, um, a letter. <laughs> okay, we've sent letters to these people. I want to suggest. I want to throw this out there. I want to suggest that we don't do that sure. anymore. I, I want to suggest that we find an alternative means of reaching out to these people because that's not working. Right. The letter now is not working. Um, I don't know when that got started. <laughs> I don't know when that, <laughs> not, know when that practice became uh, the way to do it. But I'll tell you, we're going to start looking at alternative means. And I think the best means is going to be going to those people personally. Sure. Why can't we do that? You know, why somebody says, well, we can't find them at home, you know, or they're not, they're not, coming to the door or whatever, you're going to be able to find them at some point. All right. You know, you don't, you know, they're probably not going to be there if you call them and say, we're coming. Um, but at some point you, you're going to be able to talk to that person. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to suggest that elderships consider going to these people personally. You know, this is, I know you've gone to them, you know, in that, that step in, in Matthew 18, I know you've already done all that, 
And so that final step is going to be withdrawing. But why not go to them again in that final step and say, hey, you know, here's what we've done. We've shown you how much we love you. We've shown you how much we want you to repent. Now, this is what's going to happen. And you're looking at that person eye to eye in all of your love and concern for them. To me, that's going to be very difficult for that person to deny that or to get angry as people have been doing obviously recently um, over this and promoting that hatred um, that is, is not, it's not motivated by hatred, but, but they feel like it is. And so that's what, that's what they're capitalizing on and, and drawing people in on. Now we were very fortunate that in our situation, uh, this particular lady, she did not pull the victim card. You know, we were very fortunate with that. She could have, sure. you know, just this lady in Georgia is doing that. Right. Uh, and she's just, you know, promoting it. Uh, we're fortunate that she laid low and she didn't want any part of it on social media. And uh, she's still not causing issues. So, you know, we're fortunate in that, that aspect. And, and, and I think that shows to her character that uh, we can get her back um, if we approach her. But I I just want to say that. I just want to say I think the letter is not going to work because we're going to see more and more of this in our society where people are playing the victim and they're going to put that on social media or wherever. And uh, we're going to be continually blasted and and seen as, well, that's the group that that cast people out. They hate people, you know, and they don't want people a part of it. They're going to send you a letter, you know, if if you go there. Um, so, and you can't read tone mm-hmm. in a letter. Um, that's another problem. I'm horrible at, about reading tone in text messages. Sure. <laughs> you know, if you don't send me an emoji, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> right. You know, I need to know. Right. Um, right. So, you know, maybe we should put emojis in our letters. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, but seriously, you, you cannot do that. Like when I heard, I'll be honest with you. Okay. One of our elders got up and read that the letter that was posted that everybody's seen on Facebook. Um, the day that, that, that happened, he got up and he read that letter in all sincerity and all love. And we all sat there in pain and concern hearing this, hearing his voice and the pain that it caused him to read that. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that, you know, he read it, you could hear like like we talked about earlier this is this is a a painful thing sure and uh, you could hear that in his voice that this was not something that those elders wanted to do or that our congregation wanted to do and um and he was pleading with the congregation to reach out and and not wanting this to happen so but when you read when i went back and after I saw those posts about the letter and everything online, I thought, okay, um, let me pull it up and read it. So I reread it, and I thought, you know what? Just reading that the way that it is does sound harsh. Right. Because they didn't hear mm-hmm. the pain in his voice yeah. when he had to say that. Plus, it was, it was not a letter that was ever meant to be or the masses. Right. Um, so that was, that was an issue, but I just think we're going to have to rethink the way that we approach these people 
And uh, I think if you if we go to them, instead of sending those letters, if we go to them, we might have a better opportunity to actually get them back than uh, just sending a cold letter. Yeah, I would imagine that the letter probably originated because elders couldn't always go all together. Some sure. elders work, some elders, but it, it, at the same time, um, like you said, I also know years ago, getting a letter was one of the most exciting things in the world. <laughs> you, you go to the mailbox, and especially when you're a young kid, bef- you know, Caleb and I, we lived in the age before cell phones were as popular as they are now. Right. And so our only form of communication with the outside world was getting cards and talking on the phone, you know, the landline. That yeah. sounds that sounds ancient when I think about it now because we don't even <laughs> I lived in the age like, when there was a rotary phone. Right. <laughs> we we think about getting a letter and the excitement that we feel. But I can also tell you the excitement that I felt as a child when the doorbell rang mm. because someone's here. Yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. when we talk about fellowship and withdrawing that fellowship, it does seem to me that nothing seems more impersonal than just sending a letter and saying, we've withdrawn fellowship from you. Yeah, we're done with you. And if an eldership is truly busy, uh, does the Bible command that the elders have to all be there at the exact same time? I mean, couldn't an eldership go, you know, in, in a group of, if you have four elders, couldn't, if three of them can go and the other one can't, can he go and say, I wasn't able to be here the other night, yeah. but I, I do want to echo the same sentiment. Yeah, I think and so. I want to warn you, and, I, and maybe that would be even more effective than all of them going at one time as right. all four of the elders going, saying the same thing, letting that person know, yeah. this is the next step, right. and we don't want to go through with that. What can I do to help you? How can we fix this? How can we get you back on track? And right. I just I just can't help but think that that would be so much mm-hmm. more effective yeah, um, across the board and especially meaningful for that individual. More personal. And maybe at that, at that point, the individual could say, I don't understand this. Yeah. You know, and, and can you explain this? And that gives that opportunity right there to say, okay, well, here, here's why. And then they say, well, that's, you know, I don't want to. I don't want that to happen to me. Right. And, and, and so, we're, we're definitely going to have to change the way we teach some as our world becomes yeah. more and more increasingly accepting of sure. sin because I, I told I taught a Bible class three years ago right as the whole transgender movement really started to kick off. And I, I said I never thought when I would have a child that I'd have to worry about the girl that he brought home or the boy that she brought home and asking the question, <laughs> are you biologically? male or female sure and that fear now is in my brain because we have kids today that are being told by their parents oh you you don't feel this well let's do that now if i try to sit down and explain to that parent what's wrong they're going to come back at me and say but the world says this here are these studies that study like you said i don't understand this well let's study about it because if someone doesn't understand and they're, they're actively seeking you don't have to withdraw yet you don't have to. You can study and work and try, and maybe you can gain your brother or your sister or whoever it is that's fallen away. But if, if they're going to be entrenched and you've gone to them, I think you're right. The personal touch is, is more you know effective. It helps more. It shows that you love them more because sometimes in, in congregations, elders can look like people who they're there. They're the face of the congregation outside of the minister, but you know they don't get to do everything. And they don't get to see every single person on a regular basis because right. people work, people are busy. And to have that time where somebody comes in and, and says, 
I love you enough that I'm taking time. And and Somerville's done this, and then I'll, I'll kick it to you guys for final comments. When we go to visit somebody, a couple of times we'd go to visit and we'd knock on the door and nobody answered because they're either out of town or they're not there, they're asleep maybe. And I, I told the elders in one of our meetings, I said, we need a way to tell them that we've been by. So we got on Vistaprint. Uh, they're not a sponsor, but we got on Vistaprint, <laughs> and we ordered cards that had our Somerville Church logo on it, and it said underneath it, sorry we missed you. Mm-hmm. And then on the back, we we wrote the date that we came by to visit, the time, and who was there visiting. And so when me and Ryan and the elders would go and visit back before some of the COVID restrictions weren't a thing, we would sometimes write all four of our names, put that in the door or in the mailbox, you know, where we knew that they would get it. And we would hear from people, I'm so sorry I missed that visit from you. Letters can get lost. You know, I, I've had things get lost in the mail. Mm, yeah. And I don't trust the postal system that we have with something as serious as salvation. <laughs> and so I, I want to kick it to you guys for final comments and, and anything else that you guys might want to bring up. But um, uh, let's see here, as I'm trying to throw it back to you guys for final comments. Do y'all have anything you want to add is what I'm trying to say. No, I mean, um, first off, Derek, thanks for being on the, on the podcast. I know this is kind of like a, a hefty topic, something obviously that is um, on our hearts and minds just because of recent events, but appreciate you, you know, hopping on and, and talking about these things with us. Um, and I hope that as listeners, um, I especially hope that there are maybe some elders who are listening to this um, who, who, who can see that this is something that has – not necessarily been applied or even talked about um, in the right way um, for for years, for a long time. And I hope that maybe just because of recent events, they can understand the prevalent nature of this, but then also they can see maybe here's what we should do instead of doing this. Here's how to go about doing it maybe in this way that hasn't been done before. And I hope that, I hope that a topic like this is taken seriously because this is talking about, um, you know, uh, souls and, and right. souls are obviously very valuable and we want every single soul uh, to go to heaven. Um, and especially for elders, like you mentioned before, um, you're responsible for your flock. You're going to mm-hmm. have to answer to God one day for how you shepherd and, and oversaw that flock. And I hope that that is something that's taken very seriously. Yeah. You, you know, and I'm not saying that the the letter is wrong, you know, that sure. sending a letter would be a wrong thing to do. Obviously not. Um, you know, I, I think our elders did exactly what they needed to do. Um, I'm just throwing it out there to say that now that this has happened to us, now that another congregation is being targeted in the same manner by posting a letter, posting the pictures of the elders, just like they did with mm-hmm. our congregation, this is not going to stop. You know, this is not the end of it. And so I just want, you know, to throw that suggestion out there. To sure. say, let's let's look at some alternative uh, means here of of practicing what we know is a command, uh, but perhaps rethinking it, doing it in a in, in a different way for our society today, mm-hmm. because we never change the gospel, but we always have to change the approach sure. um, to to fit you know each generation. Sure. So you know, I am I'm proud of all of those elderships out there who are uh, administering discipline in the right way for sure. And I know that that so many are uh, uh, trying to 
do that to, to if, if a congregation hasn't been doing it for years, they're trying to get back at doing that. And that's a wonderful thing and that we're realizing that more and more. And I appreciate that so much. So, um, you know, we're, we're here behind you as well and uh, want to encourage all of those congregations to keep, keep on uh, being faithful in doing that. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a um, exception to the rule anymore. It's a trend. Yeah. And as more congregations continue down this path, you can't really be surprised if you get clipped. And so, uh, Derek, we're really thankful. Derek came up today to, to be a part of the program, and we're so grateful that he did that. And uh, Derek's going to be back with us next week, or actually Thursday, not next week, Thursday. <laughs> Thursday. Um, that's Summer seasons are so much different, guys, than what we're used to doing, so we're kind of adapting on the fly here. But Derek will be back with us Thursday for a Did That Really Happen, where Derek is going to tell us, some of the most uh, interesting stories that have happened to him as a minister, and I know he has probably several, and so uh, we're looking forward to that. And we might have a special guest with us, too, alongside you. We'll see. That's right. right. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Blast from the past. That's right. That person might have stories about you to talk about. That's what we really want. That's what we really want. (laughs) um, We should have done that to everybody. We should have. We should have just called somebody that knew everyone and and got them to be put on blast. But uh, as always, you can find our social media links in the show notes. Our email address is thescatterthebroadnetwork at gmail.com. You can email us with any uh, comments or questions. Maybe you have an episode idea for one of the podcasts that are on the Scattered Abroad Network. And ultimately, what would really help us out is if you'd leave us a rating and a review on all of our podcasts. If you follow us on the Master Feed, you can leave that a rating and a review. But it would help if you like each individual show, if you just take a moment Go to each show on whatever podcast platform that you follow and leave just a quick rating and comment about the program. It helps push us up to try to be a little bit more visible and get to more people. And, of course, we're, we're always grateful for what we've been able to accomplish, but the goal can always be more. And that's the, that's the purpose of trying to do something like this is to reach more people. And so as we have all of our social media links, that's where you can find a lot of our content posted. And, uh, you know, our summer season – is like I said, it's a little bit different. It's only about two episodes a week, but we do have another episode next week, and we're looking forward to that, sitting down with another minister about another topic, and then, of course, that following Thursday, sitting down with that same minister about the stories that have happened to them. Whatever you're dealing with in your life, I want to make sure you know we're here for you. We'll pray for you. We're thinking about you, and we're trying to help in any way that we can. But I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And Lord willing, you can tune in again with us next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.